Welcome to Holy Shit, We're Alive. I am your host, Doug Cartwright, and every week I'll be sharing my ideas, thoughts, and insights that will inspire you to look at the world differently and possibly change some old paradigms holding you back. Hopefully, by sharing my stories with you, you'll be able to step into the highest, most authentic version of yourself so you can fully maximize your life and your human experience. Cool. Well, welcome to another episode of Holy Shit, We're Alive. I'm your host, Doug Kari, and holy shit, we got Frank Rich. What's going on, Frank? Oh, holy shit, we're here. We're alive. Um, I'm, dude, I'm fired up, man. Uh, you know, grateful to, uh, to be here today. Looking forward to another uh, pretty epic conversation with you. Yeah, so me and Frank actually met just like maybe two weeks ago. Um, I was a guest on Frank's uh, podcast. We had such a great conversation that I wanted to continue it and get more on Frank's story. Uh, for our listeners. And so um, still don't know, Frank, don't know you super well, but from what I can tell, this is just my perception of you. Tell me if I'm right on or not, but it seems like what, what I've appreciated about you is it seems like you're like a man on a mission right now. You kind of have mm. like this intensity. You've, it feels like you've found your purpose and mm. you're like on this mission to help men. So specifically, it sounds like in regards to, uh, mental, spiritual, and physical. I mean, you're a, you're a beef, you're a strong guy. You're, you know, I've seen your Instagram, you're, you're a rip, you know, you love the body, but you've got, you know, Arnold behind you over your shoulders. Um, and it just seems like you've got this really cool, um, mentality and like, you're very purpose driven, which is really cool to see and, and, and to see. And so, but my, what my question is, is my guess is that you probably didn't used to be like this. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I guess you could say that's correct. Yeah. yeah. I mean, certain, certain facets of it. I think the intensity yeah. factor has always been there. Um, many times, you know, that intensity wasn't directed uh, in the right way. And uh, I mean, it, it, it truly, you know, warms my heart to hear that has been the impression that I've given you because I try to show up in the world differently. Um, and I do, you know, live on a mission. So that's, I mean, that, that, that warms my heart to, to hear that, but no, I haven't always been, you know, this guy that you're speaking to today. Yeah. yeah. So how would you, I mean, cause I, I read a little bit on your website and said you had kind of like a spiritual awakening, you know, and that fits right into and kind of what the topics we discuss about, but, um, who, who was Frank before this awakening? Like what, what was your day to day? What were you doing? And kind of what was the mentality you used to have? Mm. Great question. And um, yeah, I mean, I don't know how far we want to we want to go back. Um, but I think it's important to kind of, you know, go back a little bit, you know, kind of into a little bit of my upbringing and kind of some of the teenage years, because I think a lot of that shaped, you know, shaped my 20s. And, and obviously has been a, you know, has been part of the journey that's got me to to where I was today. Um, I think from a very young age, I was somebody that was searching for more, I was searching for better clarity, on things. I was searching for, for answers. So, you know, um, I grew up in a, I wouldn't say it was a broken home, uh, but the way that my parents treated each other in their relationship definitely had an impact on how I really much viewed the world. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, you know, um, we'll, I will, we'll get into it, but you know, I, I struggled with porn addiction for, for a really long time. And, and I think for me growing up being surrounded by drugs, alcohol, like not the most loving parent. Like I just, from a very young age, I recognized that our home, our upbringing was not this kind of poster 
family that you would see on TV or even some of my other friends and kids. Like I could, I could very clearly see the difference between our home and what, and what in my eyes appear to be like a happy home. So from a very young age, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old, like I dived into personal development. I mean, I was reading Tony Robbins, John Maxwell, just searching for answers to try to figure out, okay, if, if, not that I was broken, not that I thought I was broken, but was there a way out of where I was? You know, I didn't come from a lot of wealth. I didn't come, you know, we, we had what we needed, you know, lower middle class, middle class, maybe. So it's like, we never went without, but you could clearly see that there was a separation from those that had it and then who we were. So from a very young age, I began to kind of seek out these answers. So, so who was I before? I think I was somebody that was searching, searching, searching for more. Um, this led me, you know, obviously, like I said, into personal development, um, it led me into, to getting into bodybuilding at a very young age. Um, and I think when you became aware, like, what was that like when you were like, when you realized you're like, Oh wait, my life is different than everyone else's or like my, I am, I come from a different situation. When, when did that awareness come into you? Because when you're little, you don't know what you don't know. And then as you get older, very, you're kind of like, wait, a very young. Um, it's hard for me to maybe go all the way back to the point of, of recognition. Um, but I can remember having these thoughts like, you know, eight, nine, 10 years old, like at a very, very young age, like identifying, like there's the haves in, in the world. And then there's, and they're the, the have nots. And are they the haves because that's how they were born or was there something that they did to get them there? Uh, so that self-awareness came at a very, very young age. And was it, was the story along that? I'm really fascinated with this because it was like, when you start to get this awareness, was it something that was like, oh, I'm different. I want to fix this. Like I need to get, I need to like get out of this situation or what was kind of the self-talk in regards to the awareness? I think in, I think in those early years, I didn't really know if there was a way out. I didn't know no matter what I did, no matter how hard I worked, if I would be able to, you know, maybe break this cycle of, of what my family was on. If I'd be able to break out of it, I was going to do everything I possibly could. I was going to read every possible book that I could. I was going to, you know, back then we didn't have YouTube and all these things that we have now, but I mean, the minute, like I had access to information, I can't remember reading the encyclopedia. Like we had encyclopedia Britannica and I would read it like, you know, front to back, like just seeking knowledge, seeking, seeking information. So yeah, the awareness came very, very young, but I don't know if there was actually like that aha moment of like, okay, just stick with this. And if you stay consistent over time, that compounding effect, your life will change. That truly probably did come to my mid to late twenties or even possibly in my, in my thirties. Yeah. And so, you know, you're growing up, you start to see a little bit of change. Was there, you know, you say you're devouring reading, you know, which is really rare for someone that age. Is there, was there a specific book that kind of shifted your mindset that kind of got you engulfed in the personal development? Is there a book that stands mm. your, your, as a teenager that really, really stood out to you? Yeah, I would say, uh, I think it was a 21, uh, and this wasn't as a teenager because personal development really came 21, 22. Uh, I joined a, a sales organization um, selling T-Mobile. We were the largest T-Mobile distributor, uh, but we really focused on personal development. And I remember somebody putting, I think it was a 21 indispensable laws of a leader uh, by John Maxwell. It was one of the first Maxwell books that I ever read. Um, and I just devoured it like in an hour. And I said, give me more. Um, so that early, that early years, uh, you know, 
21-22 was a lot of the Maxwell stuff, a lot of the Zig Ziglar, really focused on the sales aspect of personal growth. Um, and then there became, and then there came another real awakening moment. I, w- I want to say it was 2015. So this was, you know, this was, you know, I was into my 30s, into my early 30s now, had some financial success, had some corporate success, had some bodybuilding success, and also had a lot of setbacks uh, through through my life as well. But somebody put the book, The Slight Edge, which is a spin on Darren Hardy's um, compound effect. It's basically the same, you know, it's the same teaching and same philosophy over there. Uh, but there's a few stories that the author, I think his name is Jeff Olson, shares in that book that really realized that, no matter what I wanted in life, I could attain it if I was willing to put in the work over enough extended period of time. Because um, I think for for me in my 20s, I would get little wins. And then the, the minute I had a setback, the minute I had a struggle, I would kind of throw my hands up in the air, pout about it, and I would be thrown way off track. So I was always like having these kind of peaks and valleys, peaks and valleys. And, and that book really showed me that no matter what I wanted was attainable if I was willing to do enough work over a long enough period of time. So I'd say that would probably really be the book that has really shaped a lot of what I do today has been The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson. Yeah, I love that. That was, that was one of the first books too that really got me, my mind thinking differently too. So we're very similar in that. Yeah, Hardy's and Jeff Olson's. Um, but peeling, peeling back a little bit, you said you'd have these moments where you'd see a little bit of success, you'd see a hiccup in the road and then you'd quit, right? Um, mm. Do you have a specific example or story in that where you, looking back at how you regretted it, where it's like, oh, dang, if I just would have pushed a little bit harder on this business or this sales or whatever you were doing, you know, is there something you look back and you regret, you know, giving up early on? Yeah, that's a tough question because I try I, 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 I try not to live in, in, in regret because of where I'm at today. So if anything would have gone differently in my life, I don't know if I'd be sitting here having this conversation. Sure. So to look back and say I wish something would have gone differently. Um, yeah, in the moment and over the course of this journey, there have been those times where I can look back and see, okay, if this would have gone a little bit differently, my life would go down down this path. I mean, for example, I was, you know, I was a I was a, a corporate executive, like 27 years old you know i was making high six years out very similar to to what you had i mean i was in an incredible relationship strong woman we had talks of 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 life together uh kids the whole nine yards um and and i realized after about a year and a half in that company that i just wasn't i wasn't equipped to be an employee you know um so i you know i I walked away from you know 150,000 plus year salary and and over the course of the next six months like that whole relationship fell apart she went on you know within six months found her husband got married they now have three kids that could have very easily have have been me you know if i would have just stayed down that path i'd be you know now probably 10 plus years into the company probably sitting in the vp role you know having a cushy salary you know all the all the all the benefits you could possibly think of and i'd have a couple kids uh, not that I don't want all that stuff, but I don't think it would fulfill me as much as the work that I'm doing now. So no, I don't think I can really look back today with any regret about the way that anything has really unfolded in my life. So how did you make that decision? Because, you know, I, one thing that I've gotten feedback on a lot of questions, you know, I get, I'm sure you get similar is, you know, there's a lot of men, especially that are in their corporate job that might have a good salary right there that are very comfortable but may want to branch out and kind of do their an entrepreneur or uh, adventure or whatnot. And so how did you recognize that it was your time and, you know, where did you find the courage and how did you, you know, how were you able to make that decision and, and distinguish that as the right thing to do? 
Yeah, great, great question. I know for me, the idea of entrepreneurship was something I don't know if we're born entrepreneurs. You know, I know, you know, you can talk to certain gurus. Some it's like, yeah, you're, you're a born entrepreneur or you're not other ones. It's skills and traits that you can learn. I think for me, I think that there was something about my, you know, call it DNA that made me an entrepreneur, you know, from seven, eight years old, like I'm flipping candy on the back of the bus. You know, my mom and I would go to like the big box, you know, Costco or, or Sam's club. She'd buy, you know, the big boxes of airheads and let me sell them. So I realized very early on, like the value of a dollar, how, you know, how to market yourself. I also had a landscaping business when I was 12, 13 years old. You're legit junior high slinging candy bars on the bus. Elementary school, not even junior high, elementary school. By junior high, by junior high, I had a small little landscaping business, you know, making a couple hundred bucks every weekend, like pushing a lawnmower and weed eater around, just knocking on doors. So the drive to make income, you know, the drive for money was always there in me. So I think probably I always knew that I was going to be an entrepreneur business owner. I mean, going back when you kind of answer those questions in high school, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? It wasn't doctor, astronaut, teacher. It was like, I don't know exactly what I want to be, but I'm going to own it. Like I knew that, like I will own a business. So for me, when, when the time came to transition, it wasn't really hard. Now, what do you say to somebody that's in a comfortable position, maybe has a lot of responsibilities um, and is maybe seeking or feeling that they want something more if you're in a position where other people are counting on you, you know, you have a family that you're taking care of and you're providing for, don't leave what you have, you know, look at your life, look at where you have, you know, extra time, look at, you know, where can I pull an extra two hours to start working on something? Where can I, you know, stay up a little bit extra, or where can I wake up an hour, two hours earlier and start working on my dream? I would say then when your side hustle or your secondary income is close to or the same as your everyday income, then you can make, then you can make the decision. Um, but for me, like back then, like, you know, I was in my, you know, mid to late twenties, like I didn't have a lot really on the line and, and I knew, okay, I'm going to take this plunge now. If it doesn't work out, I have an incredible resume that I built in my early twenties. I have no problem getting, like, I think, I think a part of it was always the confidence in myself. Like I'm either going to win at this or if I need to start over and do something else, I'm going to win at that. Um, and I don't know really where that came from, you know, that type of confidence in, in my own abilities. Um, you know, it seems but, like but for me, that's what it was. Your life too, where you could take the risk because if it didn't work out, you know, you didn't lose much, right? I mean, you were kind of, you know, you're yeah. playing, right? Yeah. There wasn't exactly. Of, there wasn't a lot of stake. Yeah. It, so, exactly. Yeah. When does the, you know, when does the addiction kick in? Like, at wh- what point in your life did you kind of fall off this path a little bit? And what is, you know, what did addiction look like in your life? Yeah, addiction started at a at a at a very young age. So I talked a lot about you know my upbringing. So you know my dad, you know he he had his own struggles with alcohol. You know he had his own struggles with with porn. You know I've had you know multiple men in my family uh, for for generations that have been you know quote unquote addicts. You know drugs, alcohol. Uh, there's even been kind of a lineage of of suicide. So for me, my entry to addiction, and I'll I'll speak specifically to pornography because that's a lot of the work. Uh, that I that I do. My introduction to pornography came like most young boys at a very young, you know, unprepared age, probably six or seven back then. You know, not your typical streaming stuff that we have today. It was you know magazines and and whatnot. Um, there was a moment, you know, a very clear moment in my life when my parents split. So I was raised with two parents up until the age of fifteen. Um, like I said, not the most loving household. Definitely a lot of you know 
anger towards each other, a lot of fighting taking place. Um, so when, when I was 15, uh, they decided they had just had too much. And that's when my parents split. And, and in that moment, I'm, a, I'm already a sophomore in high school. And I was given the choice, like, do you want to live with mom or do you want to live with dad? And in that moment, uh, I made a decision because I knew I knew one path. I was going to have a very structured, disciplined life. Like mom was going to keep me on track. Mom was going to make sure that I was doing everything the right way. Dad was a little bit more looser. So when I chose to stay with my dad, it was basically – at that point, me kind of internally throwing two fingers up in the air to my parents and saying, screw you guys, you haven't been able to do this correctly with parenting me, I'm going to do all this on my own. So at 15, I really kind of started taking care of myself. You know, my dad put a roof over my head and made sure I had, you know, food on the table, but everything else, there were no rules. There was no curfew, you know, it didn't matter school night, you're out till 2am, this or that. So very young, you know, I got into drugs and alcohol, you know, 15, 16 years, years old without any really consequence, you know, parents, teachers would catch me, you know, high at school, they'd call dad, dad didn't care, you know, dad would come home, you know, we're on the patio, you know, eight guys with, you know, a quarter pound of, 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 of weed on the table, dad will look out, shake his head and then walk right back in. So I started making a lot of these adult type of decisions at a young age without any consequence. Um, and what was then the if, behind this explanation? Was it, was it escapism? Was it you were, you were in pain, so you wanted to escape? Or was it more of kind of like a curious like what's out there, you know, what, what was kind of the motive behind this, this exploration you had at such a young age? I would say it was, I would say it was twofold. It was definitely the escapism, you know, running from, from the feelings and emotions that I was feeling. And also right at that time, we moved to a new, you know, town just North of Tampa. So I got pulled out of like the friends, all the kids that I grew up with forced into a new environment, new kid need to be cool. So I did it as a way almost to like, kind of fit in you know what i mean so there was definitely the escapism but also like i wanted to be the new cool kid and i had this freedom what better way to become the cool kid in high school than say everybody can party at my house whenever we want no unlimited so there was definitely that component of me wanting to fit in with the crowd um and then and then like i said you know really escaping from some of the internal emotions that i was feeling yeah and is it around this time too that's when you got into pornography heavy heavily into pornography yeah. So this was right around the same time with the rise of the internet. So, you know, my porn addiction, you can follow the trend of it, you know, follows the internet. Um, yeah. You know, I'm, so just so everybody can kind of have some context, I'm 37, I'll be 38 here in a few months. So as a senior in high school, this is going back late 90s. So 99, 2000 into the early 2000s and one 2002. So it was still dial up. Um, but I mean, from probably the first day I had it, I realized like this computer internet thing, I can find naked pictures online. Um, and it just kind of, you know, kind of just, just sucked me in. Um, then by the time I was 21, 22, uh, this is when I w started working for the, the T-Mobile distributor. Uh, so I was one of the first people to have a BlackBerry device. Um, and with a BlackBerry, you know, at that point, it was one of the first smartphones. So you had the internet in your pocket 24 yeah. seven. Um, and then with that, you know, work breaks in the middle of the day, I'd go up into, you know, we worked in, worked in big shopping malls. So I'd go into the big department store, you know, uh, restrooms, you know, sitting in the corner stall, like the handicapped, and I would find porn on my phone right away. Um, so, so my porn addiction definitely follows the trend of, of the internet's rising. And was there, you know, as you're into the porn game, because, you know, because my background and a lot of people listen to this, you know, there is, there is an LDS Mormon faith background for me specifically. And we're, you know, porn is very shamed and you get a very guilty negative against porn. And so, for you, when you were engaged in your porn addiction, 
was there a morale? I mean, did you, did you feel morally wrong or irresponsible or negative? Or was it just kind of like not a big deal? Yeah, it's kind of like this is what everybody, you know, this is what everybody's doing. You know, my first introduction to it was, you know, my dad, like my, you know, I found my dad's stack of magazines, you know, yeah. um, and I also didn't have, you know, so, so full transparency, you know, I, I am a Christian today, you know, I've, I've given yeah. my life to Christ. It's a part mm-hmm. of my story, um, but it wasn't a part of my early, my early years. Um, so we were, you know, we weren't born into, you know, called a religious home. There's no real, you know, real speak of, of any of this. So I think for me, back then it was no this is just what every guy does this is part of that maturation process uh from board of manhood is you're supposed to look at this this is where you learn you know about you know sexual exploration so yeah i definitely didn't wrestle with the, the morality side of things back then yeah and so when was it like when what was the turning point when you realized okay this is an unhealthy addiction i have when when, when did that come, come through yeah i would say i probably was aware of it for quite a few years before I really took any action. You know, like I shared with you kind of just- An unhealthy habit for a while. I knew that I had an unhealthy relationship with it. Um, You know, like I shared with you, I mean, I would, you know, I would in in, in a work break working in the shopping mall, I would go up into a public restroom to look at porn. Like that is not normal or wasn't normal uh, back then. I think I knew that. Um, and then when it started, you know, my late twenties, it started to really affect some of my relationships. Um, you know, probably the first time I realized I had erectile dysfunction, you know, caused through porn, porn induced erectile dysfunction. So, you know, you mentioned kind of my bodybuilding background, fitness, you know, so, um, here I was in my, you know, my early thirties, you know, doing fitness modeling, competing, kind of like, if you looked at me, I was the signature of health and I'd have, you know, beautiful, you know, and I'm not saying this in a brag, you know, braggadocious way. I've dated, you know, some of the most beautiful women in the world, you know, Miss Figure Olympias and, and, and fitness models and not being able to get an erection with them was kind of a, an, an aha moment. Um, but even then I was like, oh, I'm just take a blue pill and it'll just take care of, of all that. So it still took a couple years, even once I realized that was a problem for me to begin to really, really make changes in my life. Yeah. When, when was the like, you know, you, you sounds like you have a you know, very healing, healthy relationship in regards to pornography. When was there, when was the moment where you're like, okay, enough is enough. Like I need to get a hold of this. And you, and you did what, what, what was going on? How did, how did that come to be? Yeah, it, it was a series, a series of events. Um, the yeah. first one was me listening to a podcast, which is why I'm so passionate about, you know, what I get to do here because a podcast, hearing somebody else talk about their struggles, talk about how theirs led to even darker uh, places than I'd ever even thought um, made me realize that, okay, I did have a problem, but there was also other men out there that were struggling with it. So I, I remember very specifically, it was the Vince Del Monte podcast show. I just got a chance to be interviewed by him a few weeks ago. Uh, still a mentor to me today. He's, he's my he's my business coach. Uh, but he interviewed Michael John Cusack, who's the author of Surfing for God. Uh, and in that, Michael shares his, his healing and recovery story. Um, and hearing, like I said, hearing another grown man talk about it really opened my eyes. So at that moment, this is late 2018, um, I began to kind of research like, okay, what's really going on? You know, like, is this a bigger problem globally? 
what are the real negative side effects and is there a way out of it? So I started to kind of look up, you know, some of the work by, by Gary Wilson, you know, your brain on porn, God rest his soul, he just passed away, I think last week, but he's really been kind of a pioneer in the space. I think his book from 2015, 2016, I mean, it's transformed hundreds of thousands of guys' lives. So when I start to kind of understand it from a neuroscience level, like that's me, you know, like I've, like, like we've shared, like I've been in, you know, an acquirer of knowledge and information. So once I realized that there was a problem, other men were having it, I just went all in. Um, so I started to study. Were there specific statistics or, or information that you're reading that was like really blowing you away? Like, do you have anything you can share with us? Really yeah, I think, I think, yeah, I mean, um, specific stats or, or statistics. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I have, I have tons of them, but I, I, I really think when it, when, when I started to understand like how it was chemically changing the brain, how it was altering and hijacking your reward system and, and really forcing you to not find joy or pleasure in anything else in life. So when I was reading this, like, okay, it hijacks your dopamine. So you're only going to get like a hit of dopamine as you're looking for more porn. Well, is this the reason why, like I feel depressed all the time? And I begin to be able to kind of connect the dots of like, why does my life feel dark? Why am I unhappy with things that should be? Like, like I said, I, 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 I had an incredible life in my 20s, financial success, girlfriend success, social success, bodybuilding success. Yet at the end of the day, like sitting underneath that was this feeling of unworthiness, this feeling of like unhappiness. So when I was able to connect, like a lot of that was rooted in the fact that my brain had been hijacked. I was like, okay, now I got to do something about this. And there was a second moment there in, 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 in it's a powerful thing. Um, I'm, I'm a part of, you know, a couple different groups. Like I, I, I feel networks and I feel our community is so crucial to, to success, whether it's spiritual success, whether it's personal success, whether it's, you know, financial success, you need to be around the right type of people. So I got introduced to, to a lot of very strong men, uh, right around the same time, you know, late 2018. And after a workout one day with these group of guys, I'm literally just sitting in the car with somebody, former Marine, like strong, strong men, masculine men. Um, and out of the blue, he just starts sharing about his own struggles as well. And by him talking about it, it kind of gave me the freedom to talk about my own struggles. So, you know, up until that point, I'd heard the podcast, I'd read, you know, the book, I'd listened to the TED Talk. I hadn't actually talked about my own struggles with somebody else. But by somebody taking the leap first, by somebody else saying, dude, I've been struggling with this for a really long time, and I don't know how I'm going to be able to get it under control. It's like now I had the freedom to share what I was going through as well. And that was February 14th, 2019. Very uh, fundamental day in, in my life. I mean, it's a day of love. But um, yeah, it was really in that moment where somebody else talked about their own struggles that I found freedom. And, and I haven't looked back since. That was the day that I decided um, I was going to make a change. And I love that because it really what it is, it reminds me of the Brene Brown. I, I don't know the exact quote, but she says, when we speak our truth, it gives permission to others to do the same. Mm. And it seems very much kind of what happened with you. And, and I wanted to go back a little bit because, you know, in, in my, the biggest breakthrough changing point for me in pornography is very similar where it's, you know, growing up in, in, in the LDS faith, it's, you know, very much bad thing, you know, don't ever do it. If you look at porn, you go to hell type of thing. I leave the Mormon faith and I kind of loosened up a little bit on porn. Like, oh, it's okay. Like, it's not that big of a deal. It's not as bad as I thought. But I'll never forget, you have your February 14th, 2019. Mine was December, same year of 2019. I read an article, I think it was in Scientific America, um, that just basically said, hey, this isn't a morality. This isn't the morality of porn. This is scientifically what happens to your brain when you look at pornography how it just destroys your dopamine receptors, how you can't find joy, everything you just said, and, it's, and it, how yeah. it's linked to erectile dysfunction. 
for people in their thirties, which is insane. Like yeah. that's so not healthy. And I remember reading that article and I'm like, to this day, stone cold, like no more porn, right? No more. Cause it's, it, it rattled me. I remember reading this article and just being rattled to my core. I'm like, this yeah. is really, really scary. And that, and that stat, I mean, I'm, you know, I get, I get the opportunity to speak to, you know, tens, you know, you know, 20, 20 plus men every single week through other clients and, and in all the, you know, consultations that I do. You know, I've talked to guys in their early twenties um, that are experiencing it as, as well. And I, I think, you know, the, the, the really important piece that, I, that, that I like what you said there, it's like that morality, you know, lens that people look through it, like that hasn't worked. You know, yeah. there's a reason why, you know, still to this day, in the church, you know, big church, like in general, like there's a there's a seventy percent addiction to porn with men and the leaders in the church because looking at it through the lens of this is bad, you're going to go to hell, hasn't worked, and it's never going to work. Um, so one of the things that I try to really bring through this conversations, through all the work that we're doing, I'm I'm, I'm even developing a curriculum that will go into churches, um, is really bringing that science to it because we have to understand that there's. There's obviously, yes, there's the heart issue. There's the lust issue. But men are wired for lust. So we're never really going to be able to escape that part of us. If we could understand it from a from a neuroscience standpoint, it's literally like injecting a drug into your brain. Then maybe we could raise our level of self-awareness to understand, okay, this is bigger than me. It's it's There's something inside of my wiring that's driving me to want it, but I am strong enough to not give into it. And it just makes that conscious choice. Like it takes that conscious decision of I'm not going to go back. And for some reason, so many men struggle with with truly committing to that decision. Yeah, and I noticed you have on your website, you know, a freebie on you know overcoming a porn addiction. And so for those listening that have porn addictions, how, you know, what are the steps you can you started to take in overcoming this addiction? Yeah, uh, yeah, you're referencing the the the, the seven step guide there that, that I wrote. Oh, yeah. um, you know, I would say the, the 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 first step is it's the acknowledgement and the admittance that it's a problem. You know, there's something in your life that you're going to change. You have to first step in changing it is actually admitting that it needs to be changed. So admitting to yourself that, Hey, what I've been doing, you know, by me watching this, it's destructive to me. It's destructive to my life. So admit and acknowledge it. And then I think the second thing, and we both, you know, or, or I really shared it in, in, in my story, it's, it's recruiting some support. Uh, you know, getting somebody involved, speaking your truth, like Brene, like Brene Brown said, um, so finding whether it's a coach, therapist, you know, if you are in the church, find a pastor, find a leader, should not be your spouse, should not be your wife. Like, don't go to your partner and be like, I'm struggling with porn. Can you be my accountability? That's not their role. But find somebody outside of you that you can trust in. Find somebody outside of you that you can be open with and you know will be there for you. So I'd say admit, acknowledge that there's a problem. Speak it out. Speak your truth to somebody else. Um and then, I mean, I'm not here pitching my program, but I think you probably need to get involved in some type of structured, you know, program. Because I think it's a two-step process. You know, when we talk about rebooting, rewiring the brain, it's the unwiring process. So it's realizing that because your dopamine has been hijacked, because it's literally taking control of reward center, there's a lot of unconscious programming that's happening. That's why you kind of feel like you need it, you need it, you need it. So you have to unwire those old patterns of behavior. They have to rewire new ones. And that takes a proactive approach. How do you rewire the brain? Set a goal for your life. Set a vision. Break the vision down into small actionable steps that you can have daily wins upon. Live in a state of gratitude. Get into a training regimen. You know, we utilize fasting and, and some other tools. So there's a lot there to unpack. But I would say admit that there's a problem. Speak your truth to somebody else. 
um, and then get some support, get into a program, get a structured process that can help you through this. Yeah, and I, and I love everything you're saying. And one thing I'd want to—I uh, mean—add and to this, anyone listening that's struggling is more. A lot of it too is is that it's okay if you're addicted to it. Like you're not. It doesn't make you a bad person. Ex- right. Yes. Yeah. You have to give yourself some grace, grace. you know, and I, 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 I shot a video on this, uh, I think maybe it went up yesterday or late last week, understanding that, yeah, once you admit and acknowledge that there's a problem, anything that's happened up until this moment, yeah, it's led you here, but you yeah. can't live in anguish about that. You can't live with, oh, I've done this. It's ruined. I hate when I hear, man, it's ruined my life. No, it hasn't because you're having a conversation with me right now. So that means you have access to the internet. You're watching videos. You have a pretty, you have a pretty good life. Has it been negatively impacted? Yes. So I think paying attention to the language that we use about ourselves and towards ourselves is important. But yeah, you got to have some grace for yourself and realize like you're not a broken individual. The fact is you've probably been uneducated, which the entire world has been uneducated on the real dangers of this, which, you know, kind of going back to my mission here, it's, 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 it's to be screaming from the top of the mountain about the dangers of this thing. Um, so yeah, understand that, that you're not broken. You're not a bad person. If you acknowledge it now, here's the catch 22. Cause if you acknowledge it, it's a problem, but then you don't do anything about it then it's your fault. Like then it's your fault. But up until that point where you've had that kind of realization, you can't beat yourself up about anything. You'll yeah, never, and, you'll and, never and agree with anything. You're not alone, right? You're not alone. Mm. This is a, this, this problem is way more common than most people are aware of. You oh, know? it's yeah. It's rampant. And so the fact yeah. that you, I mean, any, any of the statistics that you see, you know, 70% or, you know, eight out of 10 men, I, I say that number is probably, glaringly low because to get to get real statistics on a porn addiction you have to get people to actually openly admit to their issues with pornography and how many people are actually willing willingly going to do that so yeah if you're a guy you know welcome to the you know the club of tens of millions if not hundreds of millions of men uh, around the world and you know women struggle with it not as to a high percentage but women struggle with it as well yeah and that was another thing too. I was surprised of how many women have opened up. I mean, I've had conversations with some women that where they have, they've struggled with it too. So it's not just a guy thing, you know? Yeah. Um, I want to continue our conversation, but it's real quickly for anyone who's listening, how can they find that seven step guide to overcoming porn addiction? Yeah, it's uh, just real simple. It's the seven step guide.com. Um, seven is spelled out. So the S E V E N step guide.com. Um, or if you, you know, you visit my, my, my YouTube channel, um, every video, we have a link to, to download the book, but the easiest way is just the seven step guide.com. Yeah. yeah. So anyone is having an issue with porn or wants to continue the conversation, I highly recommend, uh, downloading that, that guidebook from Frank. So, um, moving on, um, you've mentioned you've had the spiritual awakening, right? Tell us a little bit about that, how that came to be and kind of what was kind of like your holy shit moment, you know, awakening in regards to your, your personal life. Mm, yeah. So um, I had mentioned that, you know, I got introduced to to a strong group of men, you know, here yeah. here locally. Um, so with that, you know, I talked about growing up kind of the, you know, the uh, the awareness factor of realizing like, okay, there's something different. You can see, you know, the happier people on the other side of the tracks and whatnot. So I was always searching, always kind of, kind of looking for, for more. When I got introduced to, to these men, all, all Christian entrepreneurs, all, you know, thriving, thriving in life at this point in my life, I had, you know, shared a little bit of the financial success, success early on my first entrepreneurship venture, 
out of the gate, we came swinging, you know, did 300,000 in the first year, 560 the second year, 580 the third year. So we were crushing it, crushing it. Um, and then I got complacent. I got kind of just, you know, in a mode where I was winning and I didn't have to put a lot of effort into it. The industry that I was in started to transition and, and, and change a lot of things. So I saw the end coming of this particular business yeah. and I wasn't really prepared for, for the next chapter. Um, I so I joined it. Real, real quickly, I want to I want to uh, detail on this because I think you said something really really important that some someone might listen over. You said you got complacent, right? Mm. I think a lot of men have gotten complacent in their lives and women, right? And so I want to pull that out a little bit more and expand on that. What specifically does complacency? What did it look like for you? Yeah, it was doing the the. the bare minimum, like once I hit a certain, you know, monthly kind of, you know, kind of income target, it's like, oh, I've, I've achieved this. Like I just, I, I thought, oh, it's never going to stop. Not realizing that it'd been like, you know, three years of building up to, to get there. So I think it was just, just my own, you know, naivety, uh, you know, of, of understanding that I hadn't read the slide yet. I didn't understand the compound effect. I need to consistently be adding, be adding, be adding. I thought I got to a target. Okay. It's just going to keep, keep staying there. So, you know, I stopped, you know, I stopped doing the early mornings, you know, I'd work, you know, two hours a week or two hours a day. And then over the time, like it slowly started to, to fizzle down. So for me, complacency just looked like, you know, a lack of effort and, and really kind of just enjoying the fruit, you know, enjoying, you know, all the money that was, that was coming in very similar to, I think, you know, what you had experienced. I talked yeah. about your story. One thing too, I think a lot of people get really comfortable and they run into this, moment where they feel like they've arrived mm. when you feel like you've arrived and you've made it you feel like it's like okay you know there's this mentality in life where it's like hey, if i work hard enough for some amount of time then i can then i can relax and take the foot off the brake and kind of relax and coast and it sounds like you know that's a realization i had and a realization you had that I'm like that's just not the case yeah it's like it's like now understanding like when i when i get to that target it's like okay pour even more gasoline on it because yeah. like to go from you know to get from one to two takes a lot, but to go from two to four is less work than one to two and go from four to eight is even less work. So I understand that now, but back then, yeah, it was, you know, exactly what you said. Like all the money was there. I didn't have to, you know, look at a price tag of anything. Uh, you know, I got to live this life, you know, car, this, all that stuff. But, um, yeah, it just, it, it just stopped doing the things that got me to where I was. Yeah. So you started to get complacent, but you're still kind of involved with these Christian entrepreneurs, right? Yeah. So no, so I met them, after so the complacency came, I realized I needed to pivot and get to a different business. So I joined a I joined a fitness business mastermind. I'd been bodybuilding and competing, doing some personal training. I said, okay, maybe there's a way for me to monetize this kind of fitness thing. Like I'd seen a lot of people doing it. This is late 2015, early 2016. So a lot of people were beginning to make money on social media. So I hired a coach. I said, hey, you know, help me do this. And that's where the introduction to the to the men came. And I started just I started just hang with them on a weekly basis. Um, you know, every week we'd get together and it started with just a workout and then it'd be a workout and lunch and then it'd be a workout lunch. Frank, why don't you come hang out with us on the weekends, you know, workout lunch, hang out on the weekends, watch you meet our families. And it was in those relationships that I began to see what I'd been looking for my entire childhood. Like that was the model family. That was the male figure that I didn't have. That was the role model of what I thought I could potentially become. And even early on, I didn't really connect it. I was like, these are just guys. Like, they're all fitness entrepreneurs like me. But I began to see that there was something different in all their own uniqueness. You know, 
different personalities, different relationships with their wives, the underlying piece between them was how they showed up in the world, how they just welcomed everybody, how they loved on other people. And so this is something truly special about these guys. Um, so with that, let's side pocket that because there's a, you know, there's an added piece to the story. My fitness business didn't take off. My first time in my life doing something like didn't hit it right out of the gate. So I'm struggling, trying to figure things out. I'm in a relationship and kind of understanding like these guys are, are a little bit different. There's something about all of them. So I go to my girlfriend at the time late one night, I think September 2018. Uh, and I'm like, Steph, I don't know like what's going on. Like this business is not taking off. You and I aren't clicking. Like I just can't seem to make anything happen. All these guys are crushing it. They're all going to church. Steph, maybe we should go to church. And uh, she's like, okay. You know, so Steph had been raised a Catholic. So she kind of had, you know, a bad sour taste in her mouth about that whole experience. But she was like, sure. Okay. Like, like, why not? Um, we didn't really act upon it. Um, but one of those guys that I had met in that group was from Philadelphia. And about a month later, he's like, hey, Frank, I'm coming down. You know, I'm coming down to Tampa or I'm coming down to Orlando. Why don't you drive over and spend a day with me? So Orlando's about an hour, hour and a half from where I'm from where I'm at in Tampa. Um, so his name is Josh, and he's like, you know, he's like, hey, I'm going to come down, you know, we'll spend a, spend a day together, um, thinking it's going to be normal, you know, normal conversation. We'll catch on with business life, whatever. Um, he had Josh had been in my life at this point for a year, year and a half, and we had spoken probably every week. So he knew all the good stuff, he knew all the bad stuff. When I was fighting with Stephanie, he knew about it. When I was struggling with depression, he knew about it. Um, so he probably knew more about me than, than anybody really at, at that point in my life. So he flies down here. We, we meet up in downtown Orlando, go to church street, sit down at a steakhouse. He's like, Hey man, you mind if I ask you a question? And I was like, sure. He's like, he's like, how's your relationship with your dad? And what do you know about Jesus? And I was like, Whoa, like I had just been asking this like a month, month and a half ago. So we sat there for like two, two and a half hours. Um, cause I was just open and I was ready, you know, ready to hear it. So shared with me, you know, the gospel, who all Jesus was, you know, how he kind of, you know, everything that he did, um, asked me if I was ready. We, we, we walked outside, you know, we prayed together and I accepted Jesus in my life, October 22nd, 2018, um, started really kind of, kind of unpack things. Um, and then obviously we know, you know, four months later, I had this conversation with Zach in the car, removed porn and it was in those next few months post porn, really kind of now getting involved into, into the faith, getting plugged into a church, tapping in, in, into the word. This is when God really started to kind of, you know, move in my life and really kind of, kind of show, show some things to me. There were some moments kind of, you know, in, in the woods, I took a trip up to the mountains, just really feeling the presence. Um, but once I removed like all the negativity out of my life and I really, you know, focus on having that relationship with him daily, like, this purpose, you call it, you know, this passion, this fire, like it really just, it, it really just kind of started to kind of light up from, from the inside. So I don't, I don't know if there was like a true kind of aha awakening moment per se. It was really been a series of events and me really, really feeling, you know, what that relationship truly, truly is and what it truly can be. Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, it's something you, you know, one thing that I talk a lot about and in, in my book and in my podcast, it's like once you kind of commit to the higher path and whatever, you know, whether it's you call it God, Jesus, universe, soul, you know, the, 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 the higher spiritual path of a higher power that's guiding you. Once you fully commit to that, because I know for a lot of times it's kind of like it, it wasn't a thing in your life. It wasn't a real 
wasn't a, an important part of your life. And then you know, you, there's a lot of people who never really take it seriously. But once you take it seriously and you're like, okay, I'm going to buy into this, your life dramatically changes. Mm. And, you know, and it seems like for you, it's like once you, it was, you said it was November 22nd, you said? October 22nd. October yeah. 22nd. You know, it seems like your life probably hasn't been the same since. You know, no. and yeah. it's like, it's almost like, yeah, like it's true guys. Like if you trust in God or Jesus and, and this universal power that loves you unconditionally and really trust that it has your best interest in heart, it literally will take you places you could have never imagined. And it just, and it seems like it's also changed your demeanor in your overall presence in your relationships as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, 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 I don't think the way that I speak is your, you know, your classic, you know, uh, you know, fundamentalist Christian. Like I, you know, I, I see the world different than, than a lot of other people because of the past, because of everything that I've learned and, and grown. But I think for me, we, we've, we've used the term here purpose, you know, multitude of times. You talk a lot about, you know, your purpose in, in, in your word. When you buy into the belief that you were put on this earth for a purpose, then in order for you to have a purpose, that means that there has to be a bigger purpose for all of this. And there can only be that bigger purpose for all of this if there's something outside of it driving everything that we're doing here. So for me, I think a lot of my belief, and a lot of my faith has been found in the fact that I was put on this earth at this moment very specific time for a very specific purpose and understanding that and believing that to my core means that I can look at you, Doug, right now and say, Doug has a very specific and unique purpose for himself. And the person over here has a very specific purpose for themselves. And everybody that you meet was put on this earth at this moment in time for their own divine specific purpose and living from that place every single day. Yeah. It changes who you are. It changes how you see the world changes, how you see other people. And, and for me, that has probably been the biggest change realizing like this life is not about what can I get? What can I get? What can I get? But what do I have here to give? What do I have here to serve to the world? So I don't, I don't know if that's the way that most Christians view things, but that definitely is the line in, in the view that I have about things. Yeah. And you also answered my next question because in my head, I'm like, okay, everyone's got a purpose. Like, how do you find your purpose? And I think you said it where it's like, when you change your mindset of what can I get to what can I give, right? Mm. What you can give to the world, your unique talents that no one else have, I think your purpose will come to you. It'll come. Yeah. I mean, if, if somebody is struggling to find their purpose, A, what problems are irritating you? Like, like what, when you, like what, when you hear it being brought up, what aches you, like what drives you and fires you up for me, understanding that as a young man, like if somebody would have educated me on the dangers of pornography, then maybe I wouldn't have had a 20 year struggle with it. So that fires me up. I want to, I want to be able to speak to young men. I want to be able to speak to women about the issues with their men. I want to be able to help men as much as possible. So A, if you're struggling to find a purpose, what irritates you? What fires you up inside? And then secondly, like you have a few things that that you're good at, like your own God-given or, you know, your own gifts that were yours from birth. Mine, you know, the ability to to seek out a lot of information, process deep, high-level information, translate it down, and then decipher it through communication. Like that's a gift. It's a talent of mine. So I make a great, you know, coach. I make, I don't know if I'm a great podcaster. I'm trying to be, but I think communication and speaking and delivery is a, is a gift of mine. Also passion and, and caring and, 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 and just being, wanting to help has something I've always wanted to do. So I think if you're looking for your purpose, 
what irritates you, what really fires you up from inside, and then what unique gifts do you have? You know, like design, arts, those aren't those aren't my talents. So I'm never going to be a great graphic artist. I'm never going to be a great painter. But there are people that that's their gift. That doesn't mean anything less less about you. Some people, it's just their 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 smile and their ability to talk to people. So we need we need cashiers and we need service people. Like that could be your purpose, just to be the most amazing service person like purpose doesn't have to be this grandiose like i'm trying to become a celebrity i'm trying to become a public figure like you can be serving your purpose cleaning toilets and if you're cleaning toilets for the ceo of a fortune 500 company how you clean that toilet determines how he shows up every single day um so yeah i don't know if that helps anyone. very well said i agree 100 percent with everything you said you said something earlier too that i want to touch on it i mean it's a very deep question you're talking about how you know everyone kind of has a purpose and as a, as a collective whole, we have a purpose, right? Mm. Um, do you have any insights on what you think our collective humanity purpose is being on earth? But you brought that up. I'm like, Hmm, I wonder what your, your thoughts are on that one. Yeah. Um, we might need to take a uh, we might need to take an ayahuasca trip to <laughs> to meditate on that one a little bit. Um, the purpose for for all of all of humanity. Yeah. You know, I'll go first and kind of just what I what I think is as you're thinking about it. For me, is like okay, what's the purpose of being human? What's humans race? And I think it's a you know to have the human experience, right? And we have these unique senses we have touch taste smell sight we have feelings right and to get these vessels these meat suits these vessels to go in and experience them um and i've said in an earlier podcast too i think the purpose of life is life right is to have life and more so to remember eventually wake up and remember the infinite love of god and be able to eventually submerge back into that oneness yeah yeah no i was gonna so so well said i was gonna say i was gonna say the the experience of being human too um you know living living this life experiencing you know this world for all that it truly is but i also think that there's an added you know part to that i think experience life but i think i think create life you know i truly think a part of our purpose here as humans is to continue the species of of, of humans, you know, um, you can look at it, you know, um, I don't, you know, I don't want to you know, quote too much scripture here, but, you know, early on in Genesis, you know, man created or God created man and woman in his own image. So we know that God is the creator, but then he gave us the creating ability. So I do think it's a part of our purpose. And this is something I struggled with a long time because there were points in my late twenties and even my early thirties. Like I was like, I don't want kids. Like that's not for me, this and that. Now it's probably the only box that I have left to check is to become a dad. And it's, and it, what drives me forward every single day um, is to become the man that I believe I truly need to be in order to bring a life in, into this world. But I think to add on to everything you just said, you know, as far as experiencing this life, I think creating life is, is a part of our purpose as well. Yeah, I agree. And one thing, you know, it's, it goes into, you know, connection and creation, those things that keep, keep coming up mm -hmm. for me a lot. We're here to connect with one another right? To love, to learn, to grow, and then create. You said it, right? Create yeah. businesses, art, music, sex, children, right? Whatever it may be in creation. So I think if you focus on connecting with one another and, and creating, 
it can result in a beautiful life. So, and it sounds like that's something you've been doing your whole life and it's, and it's really inspiring to see. Yeah. I try, I try. And, um, you know, un- unfortunately, you know, we're living in a, we're living in a time where very few people are connecting and or creating, and most of us are just consuming, yeah. uh, you know, consuming media, consuming social media, consuming, uh, possessions, you know, consumerism, uh, has become the new, the, 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 the new religion. So we're definitely, we're off track a little bit as a, as a, as a race or as, as a society. So that's why I'm so, you know, grateful when I get to connect with, with other people like yourself that are just putting, putting these, these positive messages out into the world. Yeah. Well, it's really inspiring. It's really inspiring, Frank. And then the last question I'll leave you with is, uh, I, I usually don't do these, but it just, it seems like you're a very inspired person. And it's basically, if you had, you know, the world's attention for 15 seconds, you have 15 seconds, you know, your one to two sentence, and then your, your mic drop walk off. What would, what would be your message for the whole world to hear? I think that you were created for a purpose and, and we need you. Like we need you to fully embrace, to fully step into that purpose in order for this purpose of us all, this, this symphony that we're all trying to create together in order for that to fully function and thrive the way in which it was intended to, we need every single one of you to fully step into and fully embrace the purpose that you were put on this earth for. I love it. Yeah. And I couldn't agree more. I think this has been a really inspiring conversation. I feel fired up right now. I feel aligned. I feel energetic, right? How can uh, people, listeners, get more of you and get in touch with you? Yeah. Um, you know, I think if, if you guys enjoy these type of conversations, uh, check out the podcast. Uh, it's the superhuman life. You know, we had Doug on a few weeks back. Uh, so definitely make sure to check out that episode. And, you know, we're 76 episodes in very similar, you know, engaging conversational type of format. We try to inspire, we try to educate, uh, we try to just bring people real actionable things that they can then, you know, take and, and, and act upon. So it's a superhuman life. You can find us on Apple, uh, Spotify, all, all the platforms. Um, if you, if, if you're struggling with more of the porn stuff, um, check out my YouTube channel. The channel is rebuild your life. We do daily, uh, daily videos over there. Um, you know, seven to 10 minute long, real actionable steps, you know, real tips, uh, strategies, real time tools that you can use to help you with relapse, to help you with urges, to help you with temptations, uh, check out the free book at the seven step guide or follow me on Instagram at the Superhuman Frank. Holy shit. It's Frank Rich. Thanks Frank. Much love guys. We'll chat soon. Thank you brother.